The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Jay's gonna bring me back. Give me a plus one to attack. Oh, 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 I want to come back to the dice. Whoa, oh, 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 I think I need some good advice. I need a roleplay rescue. Oh, yeah. I need a roleplay rescue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello, rescuers. My name's Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering our lost role-playing game hobby. This is a bonus episode of the show, hosting an interview with, well, one of the people I find most inspiring in the community today. Peter Laws is an ordained minister with a fascination for the macabre. He's an author, journalist, film critic, public speaker, and regular writer for Fortean Times. He is the creator of the Matt Hunter novel series and the host of the Creepy Cove Community Church podcast, an immersive horror-themed church service broadcast from the mysterious fishing town of Creepy Cove. Besides from horror, Peter is said to hail from somewhere down south and also enjoys retro TV and Krispy Kreme donuts. Peter's been on the show before and we had a fantastic conversation about the satanic panic back late last year. I asked Peter back on the show and we had a pretty open conversation on the subject of evil. It turned out to be way deeper than I expected and incredibly informative. And so without any further ado, I'm just going to play you the interview. Thank you up front to Peter Lords for coming back on the show. It's always, always a pleasure and an honour. And I hope we'll have him on in the future. Let's get into the interview. Hi, Peter. Welcome back to Roleplay Rescue. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's fantastic to be back. I really enjoyed the last time we were here and, um, you know, chatting and just exploring some of these topics. So I'm delighted to return. Yeah, and I wanted to pick up because we previously talked a little bit about the satanic panic and um, all that sort of stuff. And I thought it might be fun to, yeah, connect into a little bit more directly into Dungeons and Dragons kind of culture and try and connect Mm -hmm. it across to some of your expertise. Um, You know, obviously as a person who's immersed in the culture of horror and and also many other little things that are related to that. um, Yeah, sure. Where I was coming from is Dungeons and Dragons, when it was originally created in 1974, uh, included three character classes. You could play three types of character. You could play the fighting man. um, Yeah. You could play uh, the magic user. Or you could play the cleric. And I always found that quite intriguing. Um, especially yeah. in the game originally, there wasn't a concept of good or evil. There was a concept of law versus chaos. Uh, very much that sort of Jack Vance, I think it is, and uh, mm. similar kind of early pulp. And I kind of thought it would be fun to sort of talk about the relevance of those kind of concepts in what has become, by 2021, an incredibly relativistic society. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a, I mean, it's a great, it's, it's a great question to ask. And it's actually a very interesting question to ask in terms of um, our society right now, 
compared to society when Dungeons and Dragons uh, first sort of hit and, and, and was made big. Because mm. as far as I know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on D&D by any stretch, but I, th I think the cleric is a, is a kind of character that's been in it from the start, hasn't it? And yeah. remains there. And so in a sense, from in my limited knowledge in that character, you kind of choose to align yourself with a certain deity and you've got a lot of different choices to mm. align with, but that will affect what sort of abilities you have and all that sort of stuff. But um, what's interesting to note is that in a way, it, what, it is kind of surprising in one sense that the cleric was there earlier on, because I think you're right. When D&D started to become popular, uh, particularly in the 1980s, we were in a fairly relativistic culture. I'm not convinced we're in a relativistic culture now. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. And I think so therefore, in a way, the idea of the cleric is is kind of fits in a bit better today. Um, I suppose to explain what I mean by that, I, I was born in the mid 70s mm. and then kind of came of age. <laughs> that sounds a bit sinister. What does that mean? Like, you know, started to kind of notice the world and started to become aware of the world in the mid 80s. So even mm. though I love like early 80s and late 70s aesthetic. I love films that are set in that period. I love mm. TV from that period. I wasn't really aware of culture until um, I was in my early teens, I'd say. And I would definitely say that I was brought up in an education system at the time that was relativistic, which was kind of postmodern, which would be to say, yeah, you know what? It's um, there's there's no kind of overarching truth. Uh, there's no kind of set answer, and so therefore, it's up to you what you think. It's up to me what I think. And so, in a way, yeah, you would. The cleric does fit in with that because it gives the choice of God. I think it would have been very shocking if they brought the cleric out and he'd been typically Christian, let's say, mm. and he'd say, well, if you choose the cleric, you have to be Christian or you have to be Muslim, but. The fact that it's got inbuilt choice of choosing who you want, um, I think, does fit in with that relativistic idea. It's yeah, I mean that's interesting to pick up on because in '74, when Gygax and Ionison first published uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the the cleric was a very simple concept and very much, I think, driven. I think historians of the game as well have kind of commented very much driven from the kind of vampire movie background, and it was you know a, the symbol was a cross and although it didn't explicitly say christian uh you kind of got that feeling but of course through the 70s into the 80s uh the tsr um took a very much a pantheistic approach to you know the, the cleric and it became this idea that you could serve lots of different purposes lots of different kind of missions uh you know for your deity and um yeah you know, and sort of to embrace that whole of mythology um which obviously made it incredibly popular so it's kind of interesting to see how that developed yeah and you, and you can see this the same kind of parallel development of let's say that the, the crucifix uh, as, a, as a symbol of kind of the, the good versus evil um you can see that paralleled in in films and in, in vampire films in particular and you can chart in some ways the kind of sociological patterns of where christianity is moving away from uh credibility let's say mm. or authority in the in the public square um with how crucifixes are used in in horror movies so yeah certainly if in a, in a kind of hammer film even in the kind of 50s into the 1960s even mm. you know a cross whipped out would be quite scary and um, a vampire would shy away from it because the authority you know if someone's talking about religion we're not as globalized at that point. We don't have the internet, like connecting us with other cultures as, mm. as well. So really when people think religion, they think the cross, they think their own religion, let's mm. say of their country. 
So the cross works for Peter Cushing. But then into the sort of 70s, towards the end of the 70s, we start getting films like uh, Stephen King's Salem's Lot, which is, a, which is I, I think, is a really great miniseries based on his book. But in that, there's a really interesting scene where the, the really horrible kind of uh, Nosferatu-style vampire comes out mm. and goes up to the, the priest, and the priest pulls out his cross, and the vampire is able to pick out the cross and throw it to the floor. And you're like, holy crap, hang on, that's supposed to work. <laughs> and... Um, James Mason, who's playing the vampire's kind of um, human henchman uh, assistant type, says, uh, you've got to have faith. It's about your personal faith. Mm. And this is very reflective of kind of what society was thinking at the time and still does in a sense of saying, well, actually, no, it's not so much about this this core thing that's real, mm. say God in the, the Hammer version. It's like, no, now it's about your personal faith in whatever you choose. But then you start to go on, and actually that happens in Fright Night as well. There's the scene where um, Charlie Brewster is trying to attack uh, Jerry Dandridge, the, the vampire in, in that. And again, it's like, you've got to have faith. It doesn't work without faith. Later on, we start to see the um, interview with the vampire saying basically mm. that um, the vampires and that start to have affection for the cross and start saying, actually, I kind of like crucifixes. They're quite, they're quite sweet and, and calming. <laughs> and then you get to Twilight in the kind of 2000s, where the crosses are absent because Christianity is absent. You know, religion is kind of, who cares about that? And that drifts away. Mm. So yes, you can definitely see that. So it's not a surprise to me to see if a cleric in the early versions of Dungeons and Dragons was defined because of his religion mm. by the cross. But I, I, I welcome the thought that it's now you can choose because, mm. you know, we're living in a world where everyone's connected. We understand that Christianity is not the only game in town. And so that makes that makes sense mm. to do that. And even, and even I, I think, as far as I'm aware, you, can, you maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't it possible to be a cleric, but have your deity to be actually a non-deity, mm. like to to have philosophy, let's say, or, or yeah, like absolutely. some sort of or atheism, I guess. Could that mm. be? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, how- I mean, um, I was actually reading this week. I've been reading um, a relatively recent release, 2019, the Pathfinder Second Edition rulebook uh, contains. In its world, they've created a fantasy world called Galarian, and in there, a range of deities, a range of different gods and goddesses, and also philosophies. And there's a section, there's actually directly that, an atheism. There is a kind of uh, Confucian style, you know, Eastern philosophy um, as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, and there is also a couple of different things that are just about. Um, you know, a broad kind of acceptance of change in the universe uh, in a sort of very broad um, idea as well, which is kind of interesting to see these oh. different philosophical patterns coming through. And all of those, you know, you could be a cleric of atheism, oddly. You could be, you know, a champion of atheism yes. in that sense and have and sort of draw... I don't know exactly how, how I guess... It, you know what you're thinking about here is draw is your belief in that in those concepts that actually draws the power and allows you to do incredible things in the in the game world you know yeah yeah exactly and and but but what's very interesting from a kind of philosophical point of view is that the kind of source of power is ironically kind of moving from the deity itself and towards you mm. as the person who has the faith which unlocks the power of the deity which in some ways kind of restricts the idea of the deity itself um you'd think like well if the god wants to do what he wants to do he'll just do it, it, mm. it like who cares about what his his um his pawn or his um p-a-w-n by the way is his his, uh, his um you know henchman or whatever on earth will do it's up to him so and, and what's really interesting is as you get this um sort of yes you can choose whichever 
religion or deity you want your character to represent, then that's reflected in just general consumerism, you know, mm. in the fact that like now it's about, you know, it's about choice and about choosing content. You can walk into Tesco and have an absolute plethora of different types of bread, for example, whereas in the past there may have been only one type of bread. Mm. And I think that's great. I mean, that's one of the beauties of living in a kind of globalized world where everything's connected, but there are others particularly actually of a kind of religious evangelical persuasion who see this globalization as, um, as a threat because not only are you getting non-American cars or non-American bread in your stores, you are also getting non-American deities <laughs> in your role-playing <laughs> games um, or just in, 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 in your life. So, so yeah, so I, I'd say uh, what's interesting about this for me is that I, I would have I would have agreed with your comment about why is the cleric relevant in a relativistic society. I would have gr agreed with that maybe about ten years ago, mm. but I'm not convinced that we're in that now. Okay. And that I say that because I suppose thinking thinking of like the, the best way to describe how I was brought up being a kind of postmodern type, and I think mm. a lot of the people I know who are in my age bracket, you know, like sort of late thirties, early forties, and then and then beyond. Mm. Um, they tend to be fairly postmodern thinkers and postmodernism for me, the, the best way of uh, describing it as is, is the famous painting by um, Ron, uh, Rene Magritte, is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, with, a, with a picture of a pipe and you look at the pipe and you're like, oh, it's a picture of a pipe. And then underneath in French, it says, this is not a pipe. And, it, and it's like, what? What, what, what's he saying? Of course, it's a pipe. And the people from the kind of modernist era are like, well, it's a pipe. Don't be so stupid. But he was making a very good point in that. Actually, it's a picture of a pipe. Does that mean it's a pipe? And, and it raises this really interesting idea of, well, who has the authority to, set, to define hmm. what is a pipe? Um, is a pipe only the one you can put in your mouth? Or is a picture of a pipe the same? Eventually, you start to decide, you know what? I don't fully... No, if I have the authority to say that is definitely a pipe or not, so let's just not decide. Mm. And let's just say, well, let's just don't, don't harm me, and you can think it's a pipe or not. And that is definitely the worldview that I was brought up mm. with in the education system. I wasn't um, in a religious family, even though I'm a Christian now, I didn't go to church. Mm. So I wasn't made to think there was an overarching moral framework, mm. apart from the obvious stuff, which is don't hurt people, mm. which is just self-evident. We have consciences that stop us from doing that, or most of us. Um, and I, I would have said up until about 10 years ago, maybe, yeah, recently I've seen this change. Mm. And so um, I, I don't know exactly what the phrase is to describe what age we're in now some call it post postmodernism some call it post rationalism um but it's an age in which actually people have been so used to making their own decisions on deep things they now are setting themselves up as experts in everything right and there's um there's an interesting thing called i think it's called the dunning kruger effect which is like a kind of bit of cognitive dissonance where People, especially these days, have an overinflated view of their own expertise mm -hmm. <laughs> on things and believe that they are totally qualified to make decisions on science, on law and order, mm. on, on everything, because we're so used to being given the choice. Mm. And now, and also coupled with that, a growing, since the 1960s, particularly a growing sense of we can't trust the authorities anymore. Mm. 
And so today, what you actually find, I think, this is in my observation, is we're living in a society where people are getting more and more tribalistic and more and more willing to say, no, it's not relativism anymore. It's not that your choice is fine and my choice is fine. Let's just not hurt each other. It's more like you're wrong mm. <laughs> and you're so wrong. I need to shut you up or cancel you, let's say, or mm. you're wrong that we need to um, ban you or, or that sort of thing. And I'm not talking about, by the way, I'm not trying to de defend hardcore conservatives against liberals mm. or liberals against conservatives. I'm, I'm just saying everywhere mm. there's this kind of dropping into tribalism and, and actually there was a time growing up where people would have been not that bothered, I think, about getting into big arguments about things. Whereas now people are really bothered about stating their truth. Mm. And it's not just the truth for them. It's a truth that the other side should follow as well. Mm. It's really interesting that you're picking up on this because it's something that has been around in our gaming culture now for a little while. And obviously, for me, being like a little, just a teeny bit older than you, I think, but um, you know, I'm hitting 50 this year. And the big people I'm talking to largely in this community, you know, we are of the generation you're talking about where, yes, you know, there is no, there's no bad, wrong fun for us. Um, yeah. You know, there is this sense of uh, no true wayism. Um, these phrases actually come from the late 1970s hobby culture. You know, they were in the science fiction mm -hmm. fandom in that time as well. This idea of yeah. don't tell us how to do it. You know, everyone does their own thing. We'll respect that and we'll enjoy it. Um, and yeah, we're running up against a generation that is starting to say, no, what you're doing is is wrong. Um, what you're talking about yeah. is wrong. Um, and this is blown up in all sorts of ways. You know, the portrayal of orcs as evil, uh, for example, as if it yeah. was some form of, you know, and the the dialogue has become this is some form of racism this is actually like the personification mm -hmm. of racism or you know these kinds of issues are sort of being churned up um recently yeah. and for us it's bewildering i have to be honest i, I sit here and i'm kind of like huh what uh when yeah. did that happen um but it sounds like exactly what you were talking about really this sort of sent the shift mm. to well actually no truth but i'm defining truth is that what we're expressing here that yes it's exactly and 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 really it, it it's not a surprise to find that um you end up with a, a certain amount of chaos mm. when you say to the world you know your your own truth is, is true and of course that's fine till the point where it starts to clash with another person's truth mm. and that's that's kind of um what what we see happening but i think at the beginning stages of say postmodernism or um maybe we lived through an era when there was a happy balance with that that we were willing to to be well you could say willing to be um more chilled out but you could also say willing to be lazy yeah and and actually not challenge because because one of the great things i think i you know even though some people could say the modern age is a is a politically correct gone mad type age. For me, I, I would also say it's actually, I think it's very good that we are publicly addressing so much of the, um, you know, just the offhand mm. racism and the systemic sexism and the yeah. Me Too movement, all that sort of stuff, mm. which can which can wind people up, particularly if you're of a, even a po like before postmodernism, if you're like sort of from the 1950s or something, mm. and you're like used to, um, you're used to there being a definite right and wrong that can really rile you but for mm. me i think we're this is this is good that we're bringing these things to the surface and it's sh it's shocking actually i just watched like an interview with um which was from only i think maybe 10 years ago mm. 
with Lindsay Lohan, with um, David Letterman, and she was clearly kind of struggling with mental health issues. And everyone's just laughing at her and just going, oh, my word, you're drunk on the show. And it's, and that was kind of normal back then. Mm. Or look, or can you remember like magazines when you used to walk into um, supermarkets and the magazines would just be pictures of celebrities on the beach, um, like looking a bit rough or whatever, because they've just gotten out of the water or they've just yeah. gotten out of a car and there would be like circles, the, the sidebar of shame, or I can't remember what you used to call it, but it was something like, look at how terrible these people are. And, and now we are, I think, maturing to say, well, you can't just like rip it out of people. So mm. there's definitely good things about it. But what has happened is, which I think is fascinating, is it creating this uh, Dunning-Kruger effect where people are becoming um, not just uh, overconfident of their own expertise to make decisions on things, but actively suspicious um, of anyone who would claim to have actual authority. Mm. And a great example of this would be, I'm um, as uh, you know already, I think that I, I've got this podcast called Creepy Cove Community Church, which is this mm -hmm. weird, wacky church service thing with vampires and monsters and stuff. But for people who join my Patreon, they get access to something called the Peter Laws podcast, which is a um, kind of podcast that explores weird, strange things, paranormal stuff and reviews and spooky mm. stuff, the, the sort of stuff I like. And um, in next week's episode, I'll be reviewing a new documentary on Netflix called The uh, the Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, or yes. The Disappearance at the Cecil Hotel, yeah, which is it. about the, oh, you've seen it, right? Yeah. Brilliant. Which, yeah, yeah, which is about the, um, the, the disappearance of a young lady called Elisa Lam. Now, I won't go into the whole details of that because I wouldn't want to spoil the kind mm. of the, the experience but what's very good about that show and is also equally very frustrating about that show is that it is a massively convincing example of this dunning-kruger effect where basically people think they know better than qualified people mm. so in this show this woman goes missing in this hotel and nobody knows exactly what's going on. And so the authorities release a really quite spooky video in which um, this poor this poor woman is is acting strangely and erratically, mm. some are even saying supernaturally, um, on this uh, on this lift in this elevator in the hotel. And the because the authorities there couldn't they couldn't find any evidence of what to work out where she'd gone, they released this video and then it enters the the so-called web sleuths mm. or the social media detectives who start to investigate this alongside the um the official people and they come to conclusions which are well some of them are very outlandish and some of them are quite interesting but the point is their confidence mm. and so their confidence in their own opinions um becomes over inflated even to the point where so for example the at one point, the uh, the autopsy results come out, and again, I won't say what it is. But when they come out, you'll see, like in the documentary, they'll show clips of these web sleuths saying, "Well, I'm sorry, but I just do not agree with the uh, what the coroner's verdict on this because <laughs> I have researched this for hundreds of hours." Yeah, and of course, so in their heads, they think research is basically watching a lot of stuff on online and discussing things in forums. And that can be a form of research and just totally not appreciating that they might not have all of the details and that the authorities in inverted commas may have details that haven't been released to the public. But, mm. 
and so it leads to a suspicion of authority. So it's I I don't know if you can tell where I'm where I'm at with this, but what I'm saying it's it's the same principle. It's the principle of saying every, everyone has their own authority and can choose it. Like you, if you're a cleric, you can choose whatever you want to be. It's like that, and it can that can be a really wonderful, beautiful thing. But at the same time, it can be very dangerous when it becomes well, everyone else's authority is trash, mm. and if it doesn't fit with my narrative. Uh, I'm going to ignore it or actively, even actively say, like at one point, some of these web sleuths, because they don't agree with some of the uh, conclusions where the detectives have, they jump straight into conspiracy and start saying, well, so the, the LAPD are covering something up and the hotel are involved and the coroner's officer are involved and even mm. the janitor who found the, well, they're all involved. <laughs> and you see it with the coronavirus, uh, you see it with the like pandemic hoax or the, um, yeah, so this 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 is what can happen um, in this. This is why I'm saying I don't. I'm not convinced we're living in a relativistic society because if we were, we'd probably even be more lazy. Hmm. We'd probably be saying, "Oh well, you can think that, but like that's not what I think." But no, we're saying, "No, this is my truth. Um, not tell me yours. It's this is my truth, and accept mine and forget hmm. yours." It's interesting to pick up really and um, it sort of segues into starting to talk about the concept of evil. Um, speaking as a, a teacher of philosophy and ethics, um, you know, I teach high school kids and, you know, A-level. Um, so this is a, something we talk about and, uh, you know, the kind of what is evil, if you like, as a, as a starting point. And obviously what you start to talk about there is, um, you know, evil, I think being defined perhaps a little bit more like the Vienna Circle. I think it's Aya, um, Aya, come right. how you pronounce it, who said that evil is a label we stick on things we don't like and we shriek about. You know, we kind of go, <laughs> that, I don't like that, that's evil. Yeah. Um, mm. As opposed to, you know, that, that very, you know, if, if you go right back to the sort of medieval period and beyond, the idea is evil is something that, you know, defies the will of God or, you know, goes against this kind of standard, the, the commandments of God or, or what have you. Yeah. And um, obviously, in between, there are all sorts of different approaches that have been taken over the years to talk about what, you know, what defines evil. So are you therefore suggesting that in sort of the modern world, we've come to a point where, you know, I would, I would, uh, you know, be in a person who would define what is good, what is evil, and that would be a kind of my personal kind of truth. Um, and I would then project that out into the world and sort of challenge others to um, you know, stand aside from those, those bad things. Is that the vision that you think people have well i, I think yeah I, I do think people have uh you know uh, kind of it's not always black and white but it, mm. it, in some ways these days it's getting more and more black and white in a case of saying like well well, well you're wrong and i'm right or you know you're evil mm. and i'm good mm. and that i think is a massive oversimplification simplification of, of situations mm. um because really i think things are way more complicated than that yeah. but but actually it's, it's quite it's quite difficult for the human psyche to get your head around the idea of um of what really happens in life and funnily mm. enough it's one of the reasons why sorry to go back to the elisa lamb thing but it is relevant to say mm. um it's one of the reasons why people the people on the internet particularly struggled with the reality of that situation mm. because the reality is just far more re far more real but obviously but it's 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 real and it's sad and it's in some ways mundane mm. um, and horrifying and it's not the the big massive conspiracy that maybe people <laughs> were were hoping for and it's very interesting because and i think the reason people hope for a massive conspiracy or they hope for like a monster or, or like supernatural explanation mm. or a monstrous 
foreign uh, you know entity to come into the situation and mm. against the innocent person is because this sort of straightforward black and white thinking is just easier for us to process yeah it's much easier for us to say oh well that's the buddy that's the goody um but reality i think is not always like that i think reality is often very frustratingly gray hmm. and that is really hard to to deal with um i can't remember if we talked about this last time on the show so tell hmm. me if we did but um in my book the frighteners which is trying to explain why human beings are drawn to the morbid and why actually can be a healthy way of being human and reflecting on our own humanity. There's a chapter in that about uh, people who are obsessed with murderabilia and serial killers and collecting items that are related to crimes. And um, people can find that very shocking and hot. But in that chapter, I talk about what can happen when, how it messes with the sense of social cohesion when it turns out your neighbor has decapitated 20 people, <laughs> you know what I mean? And kept them in his cellar, yeah. right? That is so, so messed up, especially when um, you always get this rhetoric, which is, but he was so nice or yeah. he was so quiet. Like he didn't come lurching out of his house, like, you know, dressed as a, as a devil. Um, and so this is messing with my head. And what it's doing is it's not only messing with your head for him, but it's making the entire society think, crap, we can't trust anyone anymore. Because yeah. even the nice pe looking people could be doing terrible things. And so what society does is very fascinating. It starts to mythologize and supernaturalize these, these killers mm. and starts giving them these names like, uh, you know, the Vampire of Sacramento or like the Ripper. And these kind of, they become... They, they, they cease to become humans anymore and they become monsters. Hmm. And that, in a sense, is a natural thing that humans will do because that will make the black and white thinking come back. You know, you're like, oh, well, we're the goodies and they're the baddies. Like, and, and, and you'll see the media start to use phrases that are supernatural. They, don't know, they never do this. Normally, they hmm. wouldn't be using terms like uh, monster or hmm. evil. And... Hmm. Um, but then they start, they have to, they have to start labeling these people that way because it's a way of us pushing them away from our tribe. Mm. You're like, yeah, well, well, he may have lived on my street, but he wasn't from my planet. <laughs> you know, psychologically speaking, he was from a different planet. He wasn't yeah. one of us. It's fascinating, actually. I watched a movie just a couple of days ago called Bad Samaritan. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, oh, I, I, I haven't seen it. I know of it, though. Yeah, it stars David Tennant and... Um, it's just fascinating, again, trying not to spoil, uh, just fascinating because it, it presents a character in, in the sort of terms that you're talking about. We're talking about um, some guys who are criminals discover, if you like, a far worse situation that they can't even begin to deal with and are kind of forced to behave what they believe to be correctly you know and and, and it's a really yeah. fascinating again study into kind of how you'd react to like you said the guy you know chopping up people in the house kind of um yeah. you know that kind of um that kind of world uh, and i just got mm. reminded of it as you were talking i kind of thought yeah, yeah. i mean it, it's fascinating how in the movie they present these guys who are basically kind of petty criminals suddenly mm. sort of being confronted with oh, hang on a minute and one of them has this wonderful line later in the film, which is like, I've just got to do the right thing. You know, I haven't done the right thing, but I've got to do the right thing. And uh, yeah. I find it interesting. 
Yeah, well, it is. And, and, it, and it can sort of slip into our senses of hierarchy and to think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a, I might be a criminal, but like I'm not as bad of a criminal as he <laughs> is. Or sometimes you can find like in the prison system, you can have people who commit some really quite shocking crimes, you know, mm. armed robbery or something like that. But, but then they'll say, yeah, but, you know, I'm not. Uh, I haven't committed a sex crime, let's say, and yeah. like that, they're they're the proper bad people, or or maybe I didn't deal drugs. I remember in I used to <laughs> I used to like Prisoner Cell Block H. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. There's a there was an old Australian soap opera. <laughs> I used to watch that as a teenager because it was so campy but kind of cool. And um, in that, there were murderers and and and. and burglars and all that sort of stuff but in that it was if anyone was a drug dealer it's like oh well they're the they're, they're the scum hmm. and and i think that's that comes from like as human beings we have a natural sense of insecurity about ourselves and we we're looking for ways to make ourselves feel better and that's that's understandable i i get that and um, but sadly the way we sometimes do that is to kind of demote those around us and and I think this this is what can happen when it comes to good and evil. Mm. So uh, quite rightly, I think, like when I, for example, if if I'm watching the news and I see some some guy has like been, I, like I, I was watching the Yorkshire Ripper documentary on Netflix, for example, mm-hmm. and uh, just watching that, I'm like, oh, this is shocking. Like, these are real people. Like, it's just like murdering. Like, it's just just so repellent. Or Ted Bundy, another guy who's mm. like just, oh, he's a horrible bloke. Um, and how he treated people. And for me, um, it's quite easy to push that person away. But then um, what really is a higher state of consciousness, I think, is to say, well, hang on a minute. Like, what, what, what happens if that person was like my son hmm. or my dad or my brother or my best friend or something? Then I would start I'd be just as horrified at the crimes, but I'd be asking questions of like, what, what happened? You know, what, what made you like this? And, and then I think you start getting the nuance of it and you do start finding that even the most heinous of serial killers, you look in their backgrounds, you'll see um, damage. Mm. And I'm not for a second saying, so therefore let them off, uh, you know, mm. don't send them to prison or I'm not, not what I'm saying at all, but people don't just usually do these things out of a vacuum or they certainly don't do them because they were completely normal. And then in the 1990s, they started playing D and D and then decided, I think I'll go and murder someone. That's not how it works. Mm. Um, often the people who inflict pain on others do it from a sense of pain themselves and insecurity. And um, I was watching a thing the other day about this woman who said uh, one technique she has is whenever she sees a, a person classed as horrible in the news, she will actively go online to find pictures of them as a child hmm. and she will just spend time kind of looking at those pictures just to to deepen her sense of who this person is and will think you know what like what like what what happened with this kid to turn them into a hmm. harvey weinstein or something or, and, and again it's not to say it's okay by any stretch but like sometimes people murder other people because they 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 have something wrong with their brains like literally hmm. biologically wrong they have something missing um and they just don't have empathy i'm i'm so i have empathy and that's not a moral performance thing for me i'm not like wow aren't i so great i have empathy no i just happen to have that skill like i've got it built in i was baked into me and i don't know what i would do if i didn't have empathy because i'd be hmm. stepping on everyone so what is it for the guy who doesn't seem to have it 
like yeah. you know so again i'm not making excuses i'm just saying reality is way more complicated mm. and, and and it's hard to get our heads around that and so instead we go for the the easier option which mm. is to mythologize evil and turn it into a kind of where the goodies you're the baddies it's interesting as well you triggered a, a memory about reading about hans rosling i don't know if you came across him he was a swedish statistician who okay. published a book called factfulness which is really looking at how he was he was working for the un and he was looking at kind of poverty in the world right and he was um he was absolutely shocked by the fact that we all seem to believe that the world is far worse than it actually is and um yeah. what he was looking at statistics that say that you know the mortality rate of children is going down yeah. in the world you know um people are becoming broadly richer mm -hmm. you know um, the more and more people are in what he would the middle income um, around the world which is far lower than ours it has to be said yeah. but nonetheless this thought of like there are poor people and there are rich people he was this false dichotomy that he was talking about and he suggested breaking that into four categories right you know you've got the very richest the very poorest and then two bits in the middle because it helped people to sort of see how we were moving from you know groups of people countries whatever you know, were moving from one of these states to another to another to another and he he picked up on some really interesting stuff like looking at mode of transport for example so the very poorest people in the world walk you mm -hmm. know the next level was kind of like maybe they've got a bike you know a push bike yeah. a cycle the next level they've got a car but it's probably a bit of an old one you know mm. and then obviously the richest people are driving around in the latest cars yes. you know and and he's sort of saying that's a way of visualizing how it is in the world and did you know most people are driving around in cars they might not be whizzy in newest, yeah. but they're driving around in cars. And most people on the planet are doing it. And, and of course, he, what he brought home was this sense of, actually, it's a more nuanced world, but that's actually a better world because we look at the new world. Yeah, I, no, I, I'd, agree with, I'd agree with him. And um, mm. it ties in with a, another author called Steve Pinker, who wrote a book mm -hmm. called The Better Angels of Our Nature. And he also talks about this to say um, the perception particularly in the media, but, but um, just in general, really, and especially in kind of religious communities, Christian evangelical mm. communities in particular, um, the perception is the world is getting worse and um, we're mm. moving into a time of, uh, you know, almost like the end times because there's more mm. there's more corruption, there's more murder, there's more this. But actually, statistically speaking, it's we're living in a, almost like a golden age um, where more people are educated, more people are being fed. Um, even, you know, um, an example would be, I think it, it, it was in my lifetime when it was still legal for a husband to rape his wife. That is mm. now illegal. But for me to think like, oh my goodness, like in my own lifetime, that was okay. Or I think it was up until 2004, there was a very um, prominent um, Christian college in America. I can't remember the name offhand. Um, but this college, they you weren't allowed to date someone outside of your race up wow. until 2004, right? This is recent. It was illegal to be gay, you know, you know, not, not mm. that long ago. So, so we have definitely moved into into a a, a better age, really, mm. in in practice, I think. But others will look at this and say. We don't have prayer in schools or or we have gay marriage, you know, people who are against that. I'm not, but if they were mm. you know, and and see all of these as a sign of the a sign of the end. And we'll probably see the thing that started that was the shifting of authority and saying, Okay, now it's up for you to decide which deity you um mm. align with. And they say, so, you know, just to go back to the D and D thing, um 
and and they would probably see that as a that's one of the dangers of Dungeons and Dragons. You know, it allows mm. you to choose the source of your supernatural power. Um, for me, I'd have no problem with that because I think the concept of God is much bigger. But um, for the more specific looking religious people out there, then yeah, it would be that would that would be a sign of the end, I guess. And they believe that's what's happening, that the world is slowly winding into chaos when it's getting better. I'm minded of one of the questions I wrote down before we started this, which is why good and evil is still kind of a thing, if you like, mm -hmm. in our society. We've debunked the relativistic bit. Okay, yeah. fine. Um, but actually, you know, films full of good and evil, are we suggesting, because the conversation we seem to be having seems to be suggesting this is a oversimplification um, because it makes us what feel more comfortable um, that we would invoke like the idea of you know the demonic uh, you know that it, which is evil that which is you know, devilish mm -hmm. um, as a deliberate way of pushing away those things we don't really want to face yeah I, th I think there's part of that yeah but um, I suppose this is why I'm glad we talked about the um, relativism thing earlier mm -hmm. because um, because if you remember I was saying I was brought up in that kind of system so I am mm. a naturally kind of relativistic thinker so when it comes to this topic of let's say demons devils and the ex the existence mm. of actual personified evil um mm. I am not sure what the answer is on it um and <laughs> some people would be frustrated with that but I'm comfortable to say that I mean for example the bible does talk about um things to do with like a demonic realm but um, for some Christians, they would just straight up say, we are in a daily battle with a kind of um, spiritual warfare against satanic forces. Whereas I am open to the possibility of that, but I'm also open to the possibility that we, um, that symbols of the demons and the devil within the Bible are maybe about a kind of a, a metaphor for our own um you know, dealings with temptation and uh, and selfishness and, and and hurting other people, and and some people would look at me and say, "That's so ridiculous." You know, how can you believe that? And I'm and I'm not saying I'm not I'm saying I don't know, and I think it's possible that there is some sort of thing as personified evil, but actually, if we, when you look at biblically, let's say, there you forget, even though the Bible does talk about demons, let's let's put it that way, um, we have got like two thousand years of cultural history which have informed our view of what we think the bible says mm. but if you actually look at the bible uh, you know without that or try to put that aside you'll find that actually what you think is demonic or is the devil may not be um so mm. an example would be uh you know if you ask many people you'd say well um who tempted adam and eve in the garden of eden and most mm -hmm. people would say well satan or they would say well the satan in the form of a serpent but if you look at the, if you just read the book of genesis it it doesn't say that it just says a serpent um tempts them and it says it was the, the cleverest animal that you know god had made but it doesn't specifically say it's it's the devil and in fact mm. um many scholars would say like the early church and particularly in judaism they wouldn't have been thinking in terms of a personified devil in fact, in Judah, in you know the Old Testament, what Christians would call it, whereas if you're Jewish, you'd say, well, that's a, that's the, the Hebrew Bible. It doesn't really. It has some references to kind of a personified 
uh, Satan, like in the book of Job, for example, but really not, not, not in the same way as they do in Christianity. In Christianity, it's, um, it, it's pretty much your classic Sherlock Holmes Moriarty type thing. You've got, you know, God on one hand, who's the good guy, and then you've got this autonomous, independent baddie on the other. And this is the narrative that haunts our entire culture. Our gaming, our gaming, and our videos, uh, uh, films, and what we watch, and it's um, it's that cosmic tr- struggle between a kind of yin and yang type mm. thing. But that's not necessarily what the uh, Judaism were thinking when it comes to the devil. They were um, seeing more like if Satan is in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, he is kind of like not autonomous or independent he is being used by god for certain purposes so in the book of job for mm. example you know the devil basically says oh job is is so on fire for you he's like he's always praying he never does anything wrong it's, i think it's just because he's got such a great life so can you give me permission to basically screw his life up and let's see if he still worships you and god says yeah all right then so it gives permission to this devil it's under his sanction to start doing some really crappy things and horrible things to job and job goes to death of his family and disease and all that and at the end he's he's devastated but he still worships god you know so this is the, the story of that but it's really it's really later places works like john milton paradise lost where we start to see um oh no there was an actual personified force of evil in the garden. Mm. And that's what informs our views of, of, of good and evil today. And um, all I'm saying is that um, it, I think it's a bit gray. Uh, it's quite possible. There are such things as, um, you know, dark forces out there. And I, I know people who said they've experienced those things, but I, I do get a bit reluctant when people start labeling other things as evil, particularly when it's people. Particularly mm. when it's saying like, oh, well, that person over there, he's evil because he did that. And I'm like, the act they did was, I would be happy to say that was evil. But what has what has gone in there on in, in their life to make them think that was okay to do that? Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I think it's, it, for, for a postmodern thinker, I'm quite chilled out a bit at the grayness. And that's yeah. why maybe a lot of the people who maybe listen to your show and were introduced to D and D in that in this in the eighties and the nineties, they're they're living game. They're playing games in which multiple possibilities happen, and they're quite chilled out about that, and yeah. even find it quite interesting. But 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 not everyone is like that. No, absolutely, and I think it, it's kind of fascinating to hear you talking about that. Um, you know, a couple of things that just pinged, again pinged in my mind from my Hebraic studies work at university. Oh, cool. um, oh, talking yeah. about, um, I remember reading, and I might be wrong, but I think because it's thirty years ago, but I, I believe that there's the, the use of the the word, you know, uh, Satan or you know, Shatan is an idea of the sort of the the one that makes you slip up or the one that trips you up. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of relate, relates in Christianity to that idea of, you know, that Jesus becomes the stone that makes one stumble as well, mm-hmm. which is kind of really interesting for me. Um, yes. There's this idea that actually there's something placed in your path, you know, and if someone becomes a barrier to to you, you know, and your relationship with God, then actually that's, that's an issue that, you, you know, you mm-hmm. kind of, you need to face up to and deal with. But actually that in that sense, anyone in any situation could become that, that kind of barrier that kind of difficulty for you yeah 
you know, and I thought that I always thought that was kind of interesting when I was reading um, back then, and also reading um, Genesis, the the idea that you know I think a lot of um, a lot of older uh, thinkers had this idea that the, the Garden of Eden story is a fall from you know fall from naivety, a fall from innocence into. And I guess that's the way Milton ended up trying to, to paint it as yeah. well, wasn't it? But in but in a, a personified way. Mm. Um, and I always found that interesting as well. This idea that as human beings, maybe uh, you know, we became more self aware and we and we became able to make this judgment between good and evil uh, as it's placed in in the story. But um, actually, that perhaps perhaps it's just a, a, a growth of our own consciousness. Uh, well, yeah, we you could say a growth of our own consciousness or you could say it's like just if you said that it could be like one of the earliest examples of this dunning-kruger effect in mm. that you know basically us being being overqualified uh, sorry thinking we're more qualified than we are so for example the classic reading of genesis is to say well okay adam and eve were um you know tricked by the devil and now they know the difference between objective good and evil and they've mm. discovered that they're on the evil side let's say or they've been put on the evil side um, that's one way of interpreting it. The other is to say God did not want them to eat of the apple. Whether this is allegorical mm. or a actual yeah. thing, you know, that's in the whole of the debate. But mm -hmm. whatever the case, He did not want them to eat the apple, um, not because they were suddenly going to discover the ability to discern between good and evil, but that they were suddenly going to start making judgments about good and evil when mm. they were not qualified to do that. And that's the problem, that, and that's what we've been talking about. So, mm. so the, the corruption of Genesis may simply be us putting ourselves in the seat of God, being, over, being more qualified than we think we are, and basically saying, yeah, I can decide who is good and who is evil. And that is the sin. That, that's the sin of the world, in a sense, because that's where our tribalism happens. That's where we start pushing people aside. That's where we start seeing, saying, you know, oh, well, if, you know, if, if you're going to dress in black and you're going to be a goth, or if you're going to, like, you know, you know play, play T&D or whatever, then there's something wrong with you. It, it's instantly putting yourself in, the, in that seat of judgment. So there is, that, that is one way of interpreting this, this, uh, this good and mm -hmm. evil thing. But that is also not to say that um, bad things don't happen. And, and, and I'm not trying to suggest we shouldn't have any um, recognition of bad things. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, I, I'm not for a second saying let's do away with crime and punishment or that, uh, you know, if someone burns my house down that I should be like, oh, I'm a, a Christian. Let's let the guy off. You know, let's go bowling with him next week. <laughs> like, no. Um, but there is still this fundamental feeling of, but it's, it's not black and white. It's not as straightforward. If I start thinking it's straightforward that the guy who burgled my house started in exactly the same position as I did and made the, just, he just made a bad decision, whereas I would have made the right one. Um, mm. If I think it's as simple as that, then I've become guilty of eating that apple and saying, yeah, I know, I know the difference between good and evil. I'm good, he's evil. I, I, I'm not, I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's more nuanced than than that. But you got you still got to have some sort of semblance of uh, law and order, otherwise you have mm. total chaos. But the point, isn't it, of the justice system is? I don't think the point of the justice system is purely to aim for punishment. Like that's not the highest ideal. It's rehabilitation. It is mm. 
to make less people want to commit crime and make that person not commit more crime. And often it's compassion and uh, understanding alongside incarceration or whatever, uh, mm -hmm. fines or whatever you have to do, that that works. So it's it's a re it's it's a very fascinating area, I think, um, and it's a challenging area for for many people mm -hmm. because they could find this topic to be, well, it depends where they come from, I suppose, too frustrating, um, because it's it's so much easier just to say, we are the good guys, and let's fight mm -hmm. the bad guys. Jonathan Haidt um, wrote a book about he's um uh, moral psychologist is how he uh, okay right pitches himself and he wrote a book he he's written a book about how human beings have six as he the metaphor he uses is a moral taste buds <laughs> okay um and he he uses this theory to sort of sh try and sh paint a picture as to why we've got into what he calls this culture war you know this kind of like this split this huge tribalism between sort of in America really he's talking about the, the political left and mm. political right and he talks about that these moral taste buds this idea of care and harm being dominant in the liberal sort of side of things and that being more important than anything else and then the other side there being stuff like uh, i can't remember them off the top of my head but you know things like yeah. loyalty uh fairness um you know a sense of uh sacredness mm -hmm. the sacred as well as one of the most important ones and um uh, and it is interesting to see that even our you know, illustrious scientific community uh, are trying to understand the human psyche you know, on a moral yeah. level. This question of like, what is, what is it that makes a, a group believe that they are, you know, morally right? He talks about it as a way of um, he he views us as a species. Sorry, as kind of ninety percent chimp and ten percent bee, and it's kind of interesting. The, the chimp utterly selfish you know, once got it once, going to get yeah. it anywhere it can, beat people over the head to get it, whatever. But actually, we as human beings have this other thing where we can be like the bee, you know, we can kind of mm -hmm. come together. We can kind of, you know, rally around some kind of ideal or concept or, you know, yes. in, a, in a moment when it really matters and we can do tremendous things together as a species. And, and of course, a great example of that here in the UK in the last year has probably been that first lockdown period where, people complied and people came together and there was that great sense of you know right we're gonna try and stop the nhs uh -huh. becoming overwhelmed and all of that and you know all the clapping and all that the americans who are listening to this probably have no idea what i'm talking about but <laughs> the his thing here is that you know if you can activate those moral, moral taste buds if you can activate them in enough people in a broad enough kind of sense you can draw people together and you can kind of you know, give them that yes. activation um i don't know i just kind of wanted I, it, again it pinged in my head as we were talking this sort of sense of like what is it that defines our sense of, of morality if you like and um i thought i would throw it in the thoughts what no i think it's a good thing to throw in because it it makes me think of the um the the thing that brings people together in the first lockdown mm. for example is um is actually the the changing of roles of the enemy so um if you have a system which is just pure black and white and it's goodies versus baddies um as soon as you um put in an external enemy mm who for that time being is worse mm. than the enemy you've been arguing with before, then you join forces with the other, you know, mm. just even from an evolutionary perspective, but like, oh, it makes sense for us tribes mm. to get together. You know, we were arguing the other day about who gets access to the river or whatever, but mm. now there's a, you know, there's zombies coming over the hill. Let's <laughs> just forget that. Let's fight together yeah. and maybe even become friends. And so this idea of an external enemy 
coming in it yes it happens so you find in times of war um you know i've, I've met people who lived through world war ii for example who will describe it in kind of dickensian terms as like the best of times and the worst of times like it was absolutely horrible but there was something amazing about the kind of camaraderie between people mm. and uh, why was that it's because you're fighting a bigger enemy yeah. um and in one sense that's that's great but it still falls into the same trap of saying so we can only feel comfortable as long as the body's out there. And, and this is why, you know, what I, this is what I quite like about being a Christian. And, um, and some people would say, well, why, if, if you're not so sure about like the existence of evil, mm. why can you be sure about the existence of good? And it's that, and that's because I, I encounter good all the time. Mm. Um, it's just, to me, I think it's the the mostly I see good. I, I even, you know, I just see good people and people doing fine and wonderful things. And most people I know, well, that's why society is still together. Mm. You know, that's why. Like, like have, have has anyone broken into your house to steal your food this week? No, probably never, because we haven't got to that sense of chaos yet. <laughs> well, hopefully never. Um, and actually, society holds together quite well because people fundamentally are you know, caring unless they're thrown into a desperate situation. Mm. Um, and I just, I just think good exists. And, and I think like that that's self-evident. So um, most people feel good about doing something nice for another person mm. and may feel guilty about, you know, help the old lady cross the road. And she tearfully says to you, young man, that means a lot to me. Thank you. You walk away from that going like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think I feel good about that. You push the old lady over in the queue because you're just desperate to buy your, you know, copy of Viz, and you're like, "Get out of the way, old lady!" Push her over, and she's on the floor gasping. You're like, "Oh crap! I shouldn't have done that." Most people have that con. Well, I guess most people have that conscience in them, and this just keeps being repeated over and over again. Like this, this feeling of like there's a conscience in there somewhere. And one person could say, well, it's just, that's just pure evolution. It's just kind of protecting a tribe or protecting those that we love. Um, me, I'm, I'm open to the possibility that that sense of goodness may come from somewhere else. And that sense of goodness is so radically loving that it might even express love towards the people who I'll happily slot into the evil file mm. because it's a higher level of thinking. You know, if it is God, that God does exist. Mm. You know that he's he doesn't have to fall into the the lazy dualistic everything's black and white mm. um because he knows the difference between good and evil and maybe there is something that's truly evil but he can see all the complicated things i'm using the he pronoun here by the way but of course god is a bit beyond all of that he she so beyond all that so yeah that so that, so for me like that's why i'm a that's why i'm happy to call myself a christian because it's centered on this guy jesus um who just personifies values which to me never go out of fashion mm. <laughs> you know postmodernism. we've talked about like you know post-rationalism all the different eras we go through but i think being kind to another person and valuing another person and helping another and sacrificing you know you can read story you can read stories from like eons ago or you can watch a disney film from last year 
where a character gives their life for someone else and it just moves you go oh, oh in a game you're like man that that speaks to me about some eternal truth or something something's going on in me it even brings me to tears you know the stories like that to me that's like saying hey maybe there's there's something something out there uh, something good so th but that's for me i wouldn't suggest people should follow that if they're not into that but i am to drag this kicking and screaming back to the role game, game table sure um, yeah, yeah fascinating that they, i mean honestly it's been a genuinely fascinating conversation yeah I've enjoyed it's it. interesting to me because i feel like when we're at the table and we're gaming people person you know take on these personas these new characters these fantastic heroes whether it be in a science fiction setting whether it be a horror setting whether it be yeah you know, we were talking earlier about cthulhu as well before we get on mic um you know uh, whether it be dungeon dragons that classic fantasy kind of like thing um What's interesting, I think, to a lot of players is this idea of taking on a role and playing through story. You know, these uh, this kind of story of you know, discovery. First of all, of who the character is, and then secondly, kind of discovering that they're part of a group, and then together they need to overcome some greater challenge. And yes. I, I guess in gaming we have this tendency to throw the demonic, the devilish, the the, the monstrous uh, there as a very obvious kind of opponent, a very obvious these are the bad guys yeah. whether it be zombies coming out of the out of the cellar whether it be you know uh, the demons in a fantasy realm whether it actually just be the alien species invading yes. we don't understand and we just you know we don't get them at all they're trying to kill us um mm. whatever it is we throw that out there so that we can perhaps discover something about ourselves and about our companions you know and, yeah. about the the group that we're in and I guess for me, you know, being, as you sort of said, this person who grew up in the 80s and 90s, what's fascinating to me is discovering about each other, the difference there is between each other mm -hmm. and, and, and valuing that. Um, yeah. And I guess, I, I, you know, in this sort of, talk about, going back to what we talked about earlier, I feel a little threatened by the people who are telling me that it's not okay to discover, the, you know, these things in other people that actually know there's a right way to be and a wrong way to be yeah um i'm back to my childhood where that modernism that there is one way of living was, mm -hmm. was threatening and we were trying to somehow break away from that way of thinking yes and um and, and it, it appears to be something similar coming on what, i don't know what of where do we go with this what what can we say well i mean well i think you you've, you've kind of uh hinted at it there by saying human thought moves in fashions mm. and uh, i don't mean that in a kind of belittling sense i just think that's normal you know mm. so it's to me um it's just, human thinking is is a bit like buying an album of a band mm. you like and so you buy the album and you're like man this is great this is way better than any album i've got on my shelf like this is fantastic you listen to it and listen to it to death and then eventually you hear like a new album's coming out and you're going you know this album's fine but like i'll put it on the shelf and i'm gonna get this new one you go, oh this this one's great and then eventually you get bored with that one and you may go to the third album but you'll actually find that it's the album that you listen to in your um formative years that really is the one that's special to you. And I think that the same thing happens with human kind of thought systems. So that for me, the album of thought that I had was, was this postmodern stuff, this relativist yeah. stuff. And that's, that's the kind of the backbeat that plays in my mind. And, I, and that's just the way it is. That's how I am. And I, I am interested in finding out new things. But what it means is, um, but, but society keeps moving in these patterns. And so in some ways you could say, like part of me says the, this, this, this modern way 
sorry, this contemporary current way of thinking, which is you're right, I'm wrong. No, sorry, <laughs> no, I'm I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, you should believe my truth. To me, it's kind of old fashioned. Mm. And I'm like, wow, surprisingly, like I, I meet some teenagers, for example, or people in their 20s. And I think, why wow, you are like, you sound like somebody from like the 1940s or something. You're really old fashioned. But of course, they would probably look at me and say, well, you're old fashioned with your wishy washy grayness, mm. you know, like mm. real lives are on the line here, which is where you, ch- you it's a welcome yeah. challenge on laziness, like I talked about before. But you just have to say, well, where, where's the pattern going? And it's not going to stay this way. Hmm. So it may go back into a postmodern thing and it may go into something completely different. We may go into some radical unknown thinking where suddenly people start saying, no, you're right and I'm wrong. I can't imagine that would happen, but I don't know <laughs> what will happen. But, but so, I, so I'm more bothered about, well, what are the givens? What are the constants that don't go out of fashion, which is what we talked about before, this sense of like yeah. goodness and and stuff like that. But um, I think what I find fascinating about this is like we talked about demons and the devil before and stuff. Sometimes the devil is described as Lucifer and mm. uh, that, that word Lucifer is uh, about like a light bearer. And within the Bible, sometimes there's Lucifer is sort of described as the day star, this kind of star, mm. the first star you see in the morning and the irony of this and whether or not that's a personified person or this is the Bible being very clever and basically saying, you know, uh, the devil comes to us looking like light and looking like wisdom and something attractive, but actually it comes with deceit. And, um, and, this, and I think this is at the heart of much of the human problem, which is uh, like Jesus talk, describes the devil as being the accuser of the brethren mm. and the father of lies. And I do think that that you know, whether the devil exists or whether this is a metaphor, I think this is one of the problems that we go through as a society, particularly today, that we believe lies about ourselves. And like, you know, I'm more, I'm, I'm more um, qualified than that LA coroner. I know what's, I don't know what happened to Lisa Lamb because, you know, I read, a, I read a blog post on it. You know, that's just a lie. Or, um, like serious lies about you are worthless. You know, you will never amount to anything. Um, and this is where you get onto the accuser, the accuser of the brethren that the, this constant mm-hmm. negativity, you know, like you're a, you're a piece of crap or like, you're not as good as your brother or you're not, you know, you'll mm-hmm. never be successful or look at the, just this, or you're ugly, this sort of relentless stuff. This is where I'd say, uh, Satan really is at work, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and it, and, and it doesn't even, in some ways it doesn't matter if it's, real or personified evil or it's just a thing but the bible says it can come as light so at the beginning you can think you can sit there thinking well it's just true isn't it i'm a piece of crap (laughs) um and i you know i'm just gonna have to accept that which is where this radical voice comes in and says don't you don't believe that you know Mm. that's not what you are um so i find that attractive but but how, how how we how we navigate all of this sort of stuff to me is you stick to the, um, you stick to the givens, which is the, 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 the three dimensional thinking about other people. Mm. And so like that woman said, when she sees someone who is odious, she tries to imagine them as a child. I had, I've got this habit of, um, I don't imagine them as a child, but I, I can't help it. When I see someone else crying, I feel for them and just, 
it just always has it like set a button in me. It makes me almost want to cry. I'm like, oh my poor God, what's, what's wrong? With who, no matter who it is, I can get moved by that. And so sometimes I've had people in my life who I would quite happily slot into the evil file. Well, maybe not happily, but I'd say, you're acting a bit like my enemy here. You're treating me like crap. Um, and I'd just say, wait, before I slot them into the uh, baddie file, think of them crying. Like think of the, I've heard the one more fact scenario, which is, can be quite helpful. It's like, what happens if your enemy, if you learned one more fact about them, could it change your point of view? An example, an ex a stereotype example would be your boss treats you like crap. And you're like, man, why is he, why was he so grumpy today? And uh, if you found out that he'd just been told some terrible news about his wife's diagnosis at the hospital or something, would that fact change how you had reacted? And you're like, well, yeah, I probably would have. Um, again, that's not to be lazy and put up with horribleness, but it's just, a, it's just a not swiftly rush to your evil. <laughs> I think that's, that's where a higher state of consciousness is. And I think ironically, this is where D and D is quite good because it's opening the field a bit and it's saying, um, you know, yeah, let's learn from each other and let's, let's, let's do this together. And one thing I would add to this, by the way, is in this talk of good and evil, somebody could come along and say, so hang on, if you're saying don't, don't, you know, don't be lazy. Sorry. Don't be um, like too black and white in your thinking. Um, are you saying that our culture and our play and our stuff has to be of this higher level of consciousness stuff? And I'm like, no, <laughs> like I'm talking about in reality, if someone in your life treats you badly, yes, call the police if you have to do all the right things, but try and have a nuanced view as well. But in films, in, in games, in stories, that that's where we can have free reign, I think, to, um, to play with the stereotypes because our psyche needs it, you know? Um, I think it would be so boring if every horror film I watched, the, the killer was understandable. Like, this is what I didn't like about, sort of rant here, but like Halloween, I love the original Halloween by John Carpenter. The mm. Rob Zombie version was okay. And some people really like it. I didn't really like it that much because it started to explain the background of um, Michael Myers, this killer. And you could almost have sympathy with him. You could say that's a higher level of consciousness approach to art, but I'm like, I don't want that. I want, I want <laughs> Michael Myers to be this pure evil force. That's just killing people. Um, and uh, I think I, I do think we need that. I do think we have to have some generic stuff. And ultimately, even if you and your friends or people listening to this are playing games in which they're doing evil acts, I don't know, like, yes, I've just slaughtered a whole village. Who cares? You know what I mean? I, yeah, I killed a baby this morning because my deity demanded me to do that. And um, that's just the way it rolls. You know, you could say that you can't equate that with that in real life because it's fiction. Um, and actually the emotion involved in that is not delight in killing a whole village. It's just the adventure of a made up game and the adventure bit is actually still a positive emotion. It, 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 so, so yeah, I wouldn't want to suggest if you want to kind of be honorable and stuff and do the right thing that, uh, play has to become really vanilla. Um, no, nah, like do, do whatever you like, but you have to recognize when play um is is not play and it's real life 
And that's when you start treating people well. Peter Laws, thank you so much for your time today. Thank Brilliant you. Conversation. Yeah, that was so <clears throat> interesting. We went into all sorts of areas there. So thank you for having me once again. You're very welcome. And you're going to have to just update us. How's Creepy Cove? Oh, yeah. Creepy Cove is still going well, thank you. Getting uh, getting lots of uh, new people listening to it, which is encouraging. And um, it's, been, uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. So we're just... Uh, in the process of, I was just recording an episode today. I think um, Buffy from Buffy the Vampire Slayer is going to be in this one. Um, basically, in the show, we get like get, get characters from from horror and come in because it's like a church based in a in a fishing village where all horror films actually happen. So uh, last last time it was Vincent Price was there, and uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. But um, but no, it's, it's been good. And I tell you what's been good as well is having people contact me and just saying that the show encourages them or helps them or makes them feel good. Because again, I'm because I'm not from the point of view of saying you're wrong, I'm right. Because I get suspicious of that. I'm not like an evangelistic type person who says I'm Christian. So you need to come on to my side and you'll be all right. I'm just trying to encourage people um, because I think, well, I know I need encouraging. I get down sometimes. So hopefully other people might get encouraged too. Great stuff. Thank you very, very much. And hope to speak to you again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Roleplay Rescue. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll hop online and check out Peter's own podcast at creepycove.com. Big thanks once again to Peter Laws for willingly crossing the podosphere and doing the interview. It was genuinely a great chat, and I enjoyed our discussion very, very much. Thank you, Peter. Don't forget that if you did enjoy listening to Peter... It's great if you can consider sharing the episode on social media. I'm Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. Catch you again on the flip side. Game on.